0: So, to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, to get 30, maybe get 20, 20, 20, maybe get, 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. Sold! give it a try at slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full turns at mintmobile.com.
3: Fiction. It's science fiction.
1: and Al Warren, heard on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and
0: 1050 AM Palm Springs.
3: All right, you've come back into the House of Mystery, a fool that you are, and I am the host, Al Warren, and uh, Michael Hawley is joining me today to uh, talk about Jack the River.
4: Hi, Al, how are you doing?
3: i am delicious
4: <laughs> <laughs> so so it's another one of my uh, uh my uh, fields are of interest and uh, expertise so I, I love having interviewing in this particular area
3: yeah another paul this one's paul williams so what what can you tell us about paul williams
4: well paul's been around a while he's uh he's kind of done something that is kind of interesting that he's focused on the suspects not just a couple or just one particular one he's taking the the wide view and looking that and then just kind of giving the reader a snapshot of all the suspects and i think it's well over 300 now that he has and 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 growing so <laughs> <laughs> well i
3: mean you know um, i still say it's real how can you have so many suspects uh, because uh, the the truth is, you know, so the, these these people were killed savagely and all that. How can you actually have five hundred suspects?
4: Well, Scotland Yard did not have that many. It was Scotland Yard only had a handful. So what what happens through time is there were so many main, <laughs> maniacs back then. Someone says, "Ooh, I like this particular person. He was, you know, you know, means motive and opportunity. He, he was there." He was an evil person. He probably used the knives, and, and so the next thing you know, he becomes a suspect. So some some of these suspects are not contemporary suspects from Jack the Ripper, or I mean from Scotland Yard, but for for other reasons. And so, and it looks like Paul is taking from uh, every one of them. Uh, and so, but when I was reading his book, he does a pretty good job, a really good job, actually at focusing on like the top ten and then going into all the others. So it's kind of like one of the things I like to talk about is the uh, fallacy of false equivalency where when someone says, how about why would you say your suspect is great, uh, is as good as any of the others? But then again, you got to look at the devils in the details and you got to look at uh, the specifics. And so you see that some suspects were taken more seriously than others. And uh, so I think Paul did a great job at that.
3: I, I You know, I think it's um, making things overly complicated, um, having that many suspects.
4: Yeah, right.
3: <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. You know. <laughs> uh, it, but it was a big city and um, murders were going on. And uh, But, you know, there, there's got to have been a lot of evil, bad people in the city, especially in that side of the city where a lot of crime and, and prostitution and all that was, was pretty rampant.
4: Yes, and especially in the, the East End, there were murders at the time. Uh, it was a rough area, but the these were different. These were not murders for, let's say, a domestic dispute or murder for some some kind of, let's say, theft of someone. Let's say someone was walking through the East End dressed to the hilt with gold sticking out of his pockets. Well, he deserves to be attacked, <laughs> but, but it was... uh these particular women were murdered for, almost for the sake of murder, so it was a a strange and different thing. So, but but there was a Melville McNaughton who was in charge of the Whitechapel murders in 1889. A little bit after, he made a comment that when uh, one years later someone was convinced of a particular suspect, he wanted to clarify it. That listen, there were a lot of. Uh, of maniacs, uh, monomaniacs they would call them at the time. At the time, so but there was only one murderer, so they they had a lot they had a lot of work to do, but yeah,
3: that would have been great if they would have uh, had DNA back then, or even took fingerprints.
4: Oh, and I'm convinced if they did, he would have been caught
3: that fast. Yeah. So, but uh different time back then. It was. uh before coronavirus. Yeah, true, true,
4: <laughs> true. Uh, are you sweating at all, by the way? Uh, do you have any symptoms yourself? <laughs> oh, yeah, I have them all the time. And actually, I head out and I
3: get around as many people as possible.
4: <laughs> okay, because you're closer to uh, um, the area than I am in Buffalo. Although New York State on the east eastern part has had some. Oh, you're um, you're war- going
3: to all be wiped out come on oh yeah
4: it's <laughs> all but, I'm gonna yeah. Do. it's
3: a dirty area yeah well no i am uh, quarantining myself yeah yeah i'm stuck yeah me and my dogs.
4: yeah i like
3: that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> staying away from crowds no well, I, I stay away from crowds anyway because i don't like them
4: You know, married myself as an uh, Irish-German marrying into an Italian family, when I heard that Italy had kind of an exceptionally high percentage, I get that because I personally had to get used to hugging and kissing, and uh, I'm not used to that at all. And it's part of that culture of my wife's family, which is great. I mean, there's so much bond, but... The communicable diseases can be passed
3: on pretty fast. I would well, say they're 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 proven that over over this. <laughs> My God, country is closed.
4: Well, I mean, even our even in our culture, when you're saying "Happy Birthday," what do you do? You spit on the cake when you're blowing out the candles.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, no one ever gives me a birthday cake. So. <laughs> happy birthday! Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Nobody likes me. Yeah, <laughs> nobody likes me. <laughs> well, uh we will uh, go for just a quick break and uh, then we'll get uh, Paul Williams on the phone and he's in Australia so he's calling from there so that'll be interesting. We interrupt our programming. This is a national emergency. Important details will follow. Are you prepared? Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go now to legacyfoodstorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick, go! All right, welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, and co-hosting today is Michael the Ripper Holly.
4: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: so now today we are talking Jack the Ripper, and uh, uh, with that we're talking to an author that uh, has written a book called Jack the Ripper Suspects, The Definitive Guide and Encyclopedia. It's part of the True Crime, Murder, and Mayhem series. It's under the R.J. Parker Publishing Um okay so we have paul williams thank you for being here paul thank you for
2: inviting me delighted
3: to be here so now paul let's start out um how did you get involved with jack the ripper like what what drew you to it enough that you are writing a book about it
2: well it started a long time ago when i was a teenager back in the 1980s i would borrow books from a local library in birmingham a place called erdington and I would read about the Royal Conspiracy and various other theories at the time. Then when I went to university, I was studying history, uh, and I happened to see a copy of Philip Sutton's book in the local branch of W.H. Smith. And I bought that, and I read it several times, and I thought, this is how history should be. It's a factual account, it's very, very readable, um, it's to the point, and it's accessible. Uh, I thought it was just a fantastic book and an absolute example of how history should be presented um, to the general public. So that inspired me to, to read more about Jack the Ripper. Um, and I wanted to do my own book on the subject. I'd written a couple of her books. I've, I've done some research for Ripperologist and some other non-fiction uh, publications as well as writing fiction. Um, so it was a question of what, what book could I write? And originally I wanted to pick the top suspects and write about them, but then I thought, that's been done before. Uh, They've had individual biographies, some of them. They've had a lot of other people writing secondary works about them. Uh, And then the idea came up to actually look at everybody who's been suspected at any one point in time, put them all into one book, and say, OK, guys, here's the evidence against this person. What do you think? And it snowballed from there, and eventually I got 333 suspects who've been accused for That's right,
4: 33.
2: And, and actually, that, that's not all of them. If, there, there are some that, that were missed out for various reasons. Um, and if you count all the people who, who confessed to being Jack Ripper at different times in different parts of the world, the number is probably about 500, um, yeah, yeah. which is quite amazing, really. Um, and it just shows the fascination with the case. i um, the people who accuse themselves are, are an interesting psychological study. Uh, it wasn't unique to Chattooga, but you have other big crimes that get a lot of publicity, and people come forward and, and put their hands up without any reason, um, prompted by mental illness or by uh, an addiction to alcohol, or, or just an attention seeker in some cases. So I find I find that really interesting that people would do that, particularly in uh, the Victorian period, England where, where murder was. Obviously, was a capital crime, and so people would risk their own um, necks um, for for their moments of fame. And that, that, yeah, so that that was a very interesting thing to look at. Um, With hindsight, I might have excluded some of those from the book, though, because I think that are they really suspects? Um, If the only person who accused them was themselves. Should we now look back and say there's someone who could have been Jack the Ripper? There were a few that the police did look at, particularly in the earlier days. There was a guy called um, Blanchard who, who um, confessed in a pub in Birmingham. And the police went and looked at his background and checked out his alibi and all that sort of stuff. But gradually the sheer numbers meant it was impossible to keep on doing that. Well, what, um, I, Yes, I was like
4: Well, Paul, what I was going to uh, talk about is with your book, Why I'm excited about it, being like a specific suspect uh, ripperologist, but we just had uh, Paul Begg uh, on the show, and the very similar reasons why I love Paul Begg's book, A to Z, is why I like yours, is because it's actually a book that is first to be read. If someone new comes into the business, or comes into the, is interested in the subject, and you want to know anything about Jack the Ripper, Paul Begg's book is awesome, and but yes. also yours. And, and it's also if you're curious about the suspects. And why I say that is because when I started reading, I was you know curious about how you presented your suspects. But what I first found very interesting is your chapter on the victims, the murders, that was impressive. And I thought a person that has never... Uh, read anything about Jack the Ripper would get quite a bit out of it and was very factual. And that was the other thing was I was amazed at how much evidence it was. It was evidence-based through these suspects. Did you do that on purpose?
2: Yes, absolutely. I, I didn't say it's a book to put my own opinions forward. I wanted to put the evidence out there so that people can, can judge for themselves because I think there's a lot of books – which traps go down the path of promoting one suspect and they exclude facts that <laughs> don't support the sure. Their a yeah, absolutely. And, and as a trained historian, that's not the way we should present evidence. Um, yeah. Yes, by all means, have an argument based on the facts, but you can't just discount something that doesn't fit your, your argument. You have to at least mention it. Uh, you right. might say that you're, you're going to but you don't know how it, how it fits in with what you're trying to say, or you might ignore it, but you have to say it is there. Um, and I think a lot of people perhaps fall into that trap that they get a bit obsessed with their um, central argument that so-and-so is Jack the Ripper, therefore <laughs> I will yeah. only put forward the evidence that, that that supports that and leave everything else out. And, you know, I've read some very, very good books um which also have very good summaries of the crimes themselves, but then they get to a point where they start talking about the individual suspect and suddenly they go away from the facts into the realms of um, rather pointless speculation. Uh, and I think it's very easy for someone to come along this. I did when I was a teenager. You know, I could read Stephen Knight's book and be totally convinced by it as, as a newcomer to, to the mystery. Right, um, and the same for other books as well. Melvin uh, uh, Harris, you can pick that up and read it and think, yes, that that that's true. It's got to be right. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. but then you read something else which totally contradicts it. Um, so right. I wanted to say, okay, here is the evidence against all the suspects. Uh, bearing in mind that most people are interested in the crime and the mystery because they don't know who the killer was. They want to identify him or possibly her. Uh, being right. controversial there. Right. Um, and so let's give them the evidence so they can go away and start to form their own conclusions. And then when they look at the more detailed studies of the individual suspects, they've got a bit of background knowledge so they can compare it against something. They've got that benchmark to say, actually, that doesn't quite ring true because this suspect did this. And so what this author is telling me may not be
4: factually correct. Right, right. And then and then, especially with, and it was interesting because Paul Begg, not only does he uh, has he written that, but he's the book reviewer for uh... us for anyone that writes books and what paul did is uh... he his book review of yours was great so that really uh... for us you know reading this is is quite important to do that the other thing was interesting to me is while there's three hundred and thirty three suspects and even more you're saying yes. one of the questions i always get was well if there's so many suspects then you know uh... uh... that um, how can you be right, or how can they be wrong? But one of the things is there's a, the fallacy of false equivalency that this particular suspect was taken seriously by Scout and Yard like this one or such and such. But you did a good job, I thought, in kind of separating that you, and you put in i mean where there was let's say the particular suspects that uh, scout and Yard were, was looking at you you focused on that as well, so I, I was pretty impressed with that.
2: Yeah, they try to divide it into a narrative showing the reasons why people were, were suspected. Uh, and that then follows into suit. So you've got all the, the murderers, people who did murders branded together. You've got the contemporary suspects branded together. And I thought that was quite important as well to try and isolate them so that you can sort of see uh, in which categories the more, the more serious suspects stand out.
4: Right, right. So, and the other thing is, is with Paul... Uh, bag with his book is it's basically it's going to continue and there's always going to be new information built upon and it seems to me that you have it set up that way as well because there are researchers finding more and more information and have adapted it so you can each you like revision one revision two in the next <laughs> few years
2: yes I, i've started on a second edition already if i find some new stuff out i'm putting it back in <laughs> <laughs> thank oh you. Yes. thank you uh, I say it's a living document, I think that there is so much research going on, you absolutely right, um, and so much more is being found out, even about the minor suspects, which is a very interesting development in liparology, that people are, are perhaps going to, to look at that second tier of suspects and, and find out more about them. Francis Thompson's probably been a good example of that, um, where, you know, probably 20, 30 years ago, no one would even have, have thought that he might be um, connected, and suddenly we, we've got uh, information that suggests that he, he, he could have been a suspect. Right, um, right. So there's a lot of a lot of information coming out. The hard part is perhaps staying on top of it. <laughs> 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 it's very, very difficult to, to be aware of everything. Um, and yes, that, that's the difficulty at the moment is trying to say, OK, this new book's come out. Let's go and read it. Let's go and find out what information is in there, what needs to be added to, to my book. Right. Um
4: so, yeah, that's the that's challenge. Well, interesting with, uh, in case of the, the suspect I do, when I, we found that 900 pages of sworn testimony on Tumbledee in the last 20 years of his life,
1: yes.
4: it was appropriate. You, you, you had the opportunity to, to get some of that in your book and that there was even more. And so uh, just like you said, that, uh, I think uh, you'll be interested in some more, some more tidbits of information in the future for the next one too, just to augment what you've written already.
2: Absolutely. I think Tom Bletty is one of the stronger suspects. And the more we find out about him, the more I personally am inclined to, to favor uh, his candidacy, as it were, uh, because I think he's certainly up there as uh, someone who
4: could have committed these crimes. Right. and, then, uh, and But still, though, I, what I like your approach, and, and I actually try this myself, even though I, I focus on him, I always try to say that uh, it's not a case closed issue. It's, I mean, there's there's some excellent candidates besides him, and so, but but there's just new information it just keeps on coming.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's a question of evaluating that because I, as it stands at the moment, I don't think we've got enough evidence for any of the candidates that would convict them in front of a jury. Right. Uh, I think we're a long way off that because you look at the the top suspects and you say if that went to court today what would a defense attorney make of it? Yeah, right. <laughs> And you can see that all those cases would have thrown out, in, in my opinion, um, but what I want to do is to help the reader make some of those judgments themselves, so I set up a, 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 some questions, as it were, to say, okay, here is a suspect, um, could he have been the Ripper, first of all, in the sense of, are they actually a real person, because some of them aren't, you know, um, uh, Dr. Stanley, who, who Leonard Matters put forward, uh, the Russian midwife, people like that, probably didn't right. actually ever exist. Um, so you can discount those fairly quickly. Uh, then you can discount those who had a documented alibi for whatever reason, uh, which was noted at the time or discovered by research afterwards. And you start looking at the reasons why they were suspected, and is there a valid reason? Uh, and if there is, is there any evidence against them? And if there's evidence, how strong is that evidence? Is it sufficient to, to warrant further inquiries? So I guess you're planning active in a way. You're sort of going through and saying, if if you were investigating this as a detective or a member of the police force, uh, who would be the people that you would concentrate on? Who would be the, the top suspects that you'd want to find
4: out more about and you want to to question uh, and and take forward? Right. The what you were talking about, you said that in the 1980s you started getting interested in this, and how coincidental. Coincidental that nineteen or uh, nineteen eighty eight was the hundred year anniversary of the uh, these yes. atrocious murders. The uh, but you said about the royal conspiracy theories that you were kind of interested. Did you uh, uh, talk about those or expound about those? In the book,
2: yes, I mentioned those
4: uh, in terms of the suspects that have
2: come out of it, and of course, the royal conspiracy has um, developed considerably since it was first alleged. Uh yeah. Personally, I don't put much credence to it, but I think there was some very good research. I think Stephen Knight, uh, despite the problems with his theory, I think he did a very, very good research, and it's certainly a very readable book that he put forward, and asked a lot of questions. Um, Mm -hmm. But then others, of course, have built on that to various degrees, and it got to the rather absurd point where basically anyone who was in the aristocracy at the time, all connected to it, suddenly gets um, brought into the conspiracy. And probably the, the most recent extension of that is Bruce Robinson's um, They All Love Jack, which whilst he says that he doesn't favour the royal conspiracy, he does favour Masonic conspiracy, going off in oh, different okay. directions. Um, but that again was a very interesting book uh, because of the length of research. I think it's been about fifteen years putting the information together. Um, mm-hmm. like Knight, I don't agree with his conclusions, but I do appreciate the effort that went into it, and the, he does make some very, very good points.
4: Right, right. That uh, it certainly does. The uh, the so one one interesting thing I have on a case book there you know when you had the 333 suspects but upwards of 500 yes when uh i was going to i wanted to tell you this that there was a uh, a friend of mine that uh they his grandmother in an old uh suitcase found this photograph of this artist that had a picture and the picture said uh uh it said Mr J McDermott uh it said Mr J McDermott the uh, the supposed Jack the Ripper so yes. then um, then what happened was is uh, Chris Scott helped me out and uh, found out it was Big Red Jim McDermott, who was a British agent. Yes. And then uh, did you uh, happen to write on that?
2: I did, yes. I actually mentioned that I saw the Facebook post and I included him. And a, a fascinating character. Uh, and it would be interesting to know how that came about, that connection, whether there was actually anything substantial, because I couldn't find any... Uh, any reason to, <laughs> to right, yeah. think he might be Jack Ripper but certainly he was in there quite a few of her political figures as well um, um, Jim Connell, the guy who wrote the Red Flag is the anthem of the Labour Party here um, he was actually interviewed by the police at the time because he was out walking with a girl and he said something that she found offensive yeah. and gave him to custody um, so there's quite a few people who, who've come to fame later on um, yeah. there was a, a piece on the Jacqueline performed yesterday about Sir George Arthur, um, the British aristocrat, which of course uh, you've mentioned before yourself, and about how he was uh, arrested, and it was in the American media but not the British press, Uh, but one of the points I made in the book was that there was a guy called George Compton who was arrested around the same time, actually arrested twice by the police and let go. Uh, Now Sir George Arthur's um, second name was Compton, Ah, ah, uh, and so my theory uh, is that this was actually the same person that he—that was the name that either he gave to the police or that the police used um, to give to the right. media. So that so the aristocrat wouldn't be, um, uh, you wouldn't face a bad publicity.
4: Well, what's interesting is uh, the 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 New York World uh, London correspondent who broke that story. His name was E. Tracy Greaves. Yes, and in October. He said that he had a um, a Scotland Yard informant. So uh, so that kind of fits with what you're talking about. So I'd be curious to find even more about that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting because a lot of information that we don't actually know. It's a bit like Matt Norton's private information about Montague Druitt.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What was that? Uh, it, we, we can't really evaluate it at this stage. Uh, right because all we can say is that someone suspected him because someone told them something. But yeah, <laughs> well, we right. don't know who it was or what they actually said. Uh, and I know there's a lot of research going into Drew it at the moment and into those connections. Um, so it will be interesting if that, that does come out. But it, at this point in time, it's probably difficult to actually identify precisely what what was said. Um, yeah. Bear in mind, it's probably going to be verbal rather than, than written.
4: Well, you, you should be listening to our show in the future because... Um Al has uh, collected Jonathan Hainsworth in the near future. We're going to be talking about that.
2: <laughs> oh, fantastic! I will, I will look forward to that because I do, I do like his work, um, and I do like Druid as, as a person to to study. I think he's a fascinating character. But I'm just at the moment I'm not seeing that Jack Ripper connection beyond McNaughton's comments. Uh, right, right. So it'll be very interesting to see if anything does c- come to light there.
4: Yeah, and and Martin Fido, I, I had said the same exact thing. He said, "You know, we just don't know what he had," and 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 he was so confident in it. So he, it's like he must have had something, but uh, who knows?
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting about MacNaughton when he retired. Um, the the various pieces in the newspapers praised his um, memory, um, and I'm reading the, the memorandum. I'm thinking actually. This doesn't, actually, this doesn't really fit with what happened as far as we know. So it's interesting that his contemporaries regard him as having a great memory.
4: Right, yeah. And how about uh, with respect to the uh, Polish Jew theory with uh, uh, Assistant Commissioner Anderson and, um, and about that? What What's, what's your take on that?
2: Um, I'm obviously very interested in Kosminski. yes, I think most people are, but we can't reconcile the guy who went to the asylum with, with Jack Ripper. That, that's the basic problem. Right. Uh, and then the whole identification is very, very suspect. It's certainly not standard police procedure. You know, why would he be taken to the seaside home? Where is the seaside home? Who was the witness? And if the witness refused to testify because he was also a jurist, then that identification surely wouldn't stand up. And if they knew that that was going to be the case, why do they even attempt the identification? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I find that very interesting. Now, I actually used to live in Hove in Clarendon Villas yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the early part of this century. I, I, I spent about eighteen months in a, uh, an apartment in Clarendon Villas. So ah. I, I walked down there quite a few times. I had a seaside home. Ah, <laughs> really? Be. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting personal connection there, but. I just can't understand why the police would take a suspect to the seaside home uh, right. for identification. Oh.
1: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
2: Why would not be recorded properly? You know, because we're relying basically on Swanson's notes.
3: Right. That's the
2: only record uh, of that. Um, right. And I find that very, very strange. Um, um, I did wonder if there was another cosmency in around somewhere that we haven't yet picked up, but Martin Finer went through the... Um, um, the archives of the asylums in a lot of detail, I think he's published his notes on the forum or did before before he passed away, and yeah. other people have gone through them too. Um, so, and it'll be hard to think that there will be a different name used, because if Swanson knew the name was Kosminski, why would a different name be on the other records? Right. So, again, it's questions that, that we have, but we can't answer. Um, we don't know enough about the identification to... to Understand why Kosminski was put in the frame.
4: Right, it's kind of like what Chief Inspector Littlechild said that uh, Anderson only thought he knew. Yes. Then, uh, but it's interesting how Tracy Einsten she's uh, bringing up uh, Jacob Levy, and the possibility that the the witness eyewitness Joseph Levy may be connected. So then the, the, the suggestion is that that Seaside Home, it was the Levy's that were involved with that. <laughs> but then yeah, again, just course. like you said before, is not Kuzminski. No,
2: it's not. Um, and I don't really buy the theory that Kozminski and Cohen were somehow confused and Kuzminski was also originally <laughs> in the frame. I, I don't think the police could really do that. Um, yeah. I think if they had identified someone, they would, they'd have a record somewhere and the, the top brass would certainly know it. As, as a fact, I mean, Anderson said it was a fact, uh, but that wasn't really shared with everybody, and, yeah, I find that very, very strange. Uh, right. And I very much want to look more into the, the Levy theory, that came a bit too late for the, to be included in, in this book, which um, he, he's one of the suspects who sits just outside that top ten currently, but I have a feeling that he will be uh, pushed forward once I look at that information in, in more detail.
4: And I think her book is coming out soon, too, and she's promising it's, some interesting information. Yeah. so I think you're right. So yeah, uh,
2: I think so. Um, because I I started off with the, when you look at the evidence relating to the victims and the crimes, and you start saying, okay, what sort of a person was What do you actually know about him? Uh, and obviously, you know when he was operating, when the dates of the crimes, etc. Um, depending which crimes you include and which you exclude. So you know who was in Whitechapel at that time, you know who was extremely violent, uh, even by the standards of the time, these were unprecedented in terms of the level of frost in and mutilations, etc. And you can infer, I think, that he he was a local person, that he knew the local area. I think that's a reasonable inference to make uh, based on the locations of the crimes and the timings of them. Uh, I mean, yes, it's possible someone could have hung around to to the train, started and hopped on a train and gone off somewhere else. But I find that very very hard to believe they could have avoided suspicion at that time, Mm -hmm. Um, especially given the number of police on the streets who were stopping anyone who looked a little bit hard. um, There's evidence of that. So it suggests he had some kind of bolt hole or somewhere to stay in the area and do it quite well. and so you know, so who who fits that criteria? Who's an extremely violent local man uh, who was free at that at that, that, that time? Yeah. Um, and possibly Levy is one, is is one of them.
4: Right. And I remember uh and and McNaughton made a comment once that uh he said that there were just I don't know, thousands of uh maniacs out there. So he had to you know, it's which one that they were looking at. So looks like uh and also the question of uh the uh the syphilis and i think uh levy is one that uh is possibly having uh that as well yes
2: yeah and i think it then comes down to motive and obviously that's a difficult thing to talk about because we don't know the level of mental illness uh and we don't know if the uh, killer was deliberately targeting middle-aged women on the streets because he disliked that group of people or if it was just a Easy, an easy target because of his own um, health or strength. Um, but certainly someone who had a, a reason to dislike um, prostitutes would be a, a, a strong suspect. Um, one of the people I spoke about briefly, I think he's discounted a suspect now because he was in jail for the start of the early murders, was William Unnion, um, who was accused... Um, in a letter to the City of London Police basically saying this guy wrote the letter from Folkestone to Mr. McCarthy
4: mm-hmm.
2: and he was also the killer. Um, and that letter was largely ignored but when I looked into it I found out that William Munnan was one of the most violent people in London at the time. He, he had up to a thousand convictions for drunkenness and violence um, which I've mm-hmm. documented separately and I've got a biography about him which I hope to, to get out there soon.
4: Oh, okay.
2: um, But. I, I, he, to me, for a long time, I thought he fitted the criteria. He was extremely violent, a local man. Uh, he also attacked his wife with a knife on the wedding day after finding out that she was taking money from a gentleman, um, which obviously implies that she had money from a, an immoral source. Um, and that would give him a motive to attack middle-aged prostitutes, given that his wife was in that category at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I, I looked at him in a lot more detail uh, it became clear that he was in jail for the early murders at least because he was sent down for 12 months in November 1887 um, the prison records don't reveal when he was released um, mm-hmm. but it would be very very unlikely that he was out on the streets in August I think it's, you know we, we can't assume that, that would have happened uh, and also when I've looked at him in a lot more detail he doesn't seem to have the right characteristics, in my view, looking at what he did subsequently, he actually repented uh, in his 60s and became a famous street poet and and discovered religion and started preaching against uh, alcoholism. And I think think that when he made that conversion, I think if he had this terrible secret, I think he would have unburdened it, given that he spoke quite candidly about the rest of his um, offences. But certainly he was an interesting character who came out of this. and. I think out of the, field of the 33, they've all got interesting and fascinating stories.
4: Right. The other thing uh, with that, and when you talked about the victims, what I also liked about it, usually I see, and, and this is what I actually did myself, was focus more on the canonical five, uh, with yes. the exception of the previous ones. But what I liked about what you did is you actually went into the post-Kelly murders, like uh, you know, like uh, I think. You even went Rose Milet with December twentieth, eighteen eighty eight, and then Alice McKenzie, July seventeenth, eighteen eighty nine, yes. and then Francis Coles to eighteen ninety one, and it was nice because then you, what you were doing was you were comparing and allowing the reader to see the similarities and differences. So that, that that's what impressed me about that part.
2: Yeah, well, that, that those cases came from the police files, so so those are the ones that were linked at the time for whatever reason some of them have placed themselves so they shouldn't have been um, but right. those were the ones that they sort of branded together at the time so I think that, that they were probably the ones we should concentrate on uh, although there has been a lot of research lately into the Thames tour murders and the suggestion that quite a few people seem to be pushing that that they were connected um, in some way right. which is interesting um, I don't know enough about them myself at this stage to to, to really comment on that but I think it's certainly something worth looking at uh, right. because if it, the same person was responsible and that's, that's a lot of murders
4: <laughs> to attribute yeah. to him right yeah and then uh, and the, when you're looking at the ideas of uh, MO versus offender signature the offender signature seems to be a little bit different on that in my opinion but then again I'm just my opinion
2: Yes, I think so. I think there, there are there are differences in there uh, but we can 't assume that the person would have had the same MO, or and, and that a signature would also develop over time um, and I think we, when we 've looked at other colours we 've seen they might have started off with one particular crime and as they 've got more confident um, right. that they 've changed their procedures and that. They've done things slightly differently in each case, um, so I didn't want to go down to it and say that everything has to be exactly the same. I think certainly when you look at the Stride and idos murders, uh, there was a different knife in, involved. Um, that that's pretty clear. That that so you have to have the scenario either the killer carried two knives around with him, or yeah. he had the opportunity to discard one and go back and get another one for somewhere else, or it was different killers.
4: Right, and then the the. You know like the the surgical knives let's say a kit, and then if uh, but then there were slightly different uh, what you made a point about is that the surgical knives were slightly different than let's say knives for post mortem or amputation yes uh, and so that to, uh, is kind of an interesting uh, point that you made the, another question would be for the listener is with all of this, how about the police uh, did they um, what what was your take on? why it seems like they were lost or what what what's your take on that
2: i don't think they're necessarily lost i think they haven't dealt with anything like this before um and in those days of course there was no forensics uh and they relied very much on information being received and people being seen (laughs) in the vicinity so i think they did probably what the rights would do was just to, to to get lots of police on the streets uh stop anyone looked a bit suspicious um so I wouldn't necessarily criticise their investigation. I think you can perhaps look at the top and say it might not have been directed very well, uh, with Anderson being off for a while and with Sir Charles Warren perhaps not getting uh, to grips with it or being able to direct it properly. But it was unprecedented, you know, and I think we shouldn't assume that, that there was a deliberate um, Intention to to get things wrong or, or to let people get away or to to hide anything. I think they actually did their best in the circumstances, and certainly you can see a number of people who were stopped and questioned, and the amount of evidence that that survived um, suggests that they were very thorough um, in, in trying to solve the crime.
4: And the, speaking of that, especially with Commissioner Warren, uh, the politics involved that probably, especially when you had Scotland Yard or the Met, Metropolitan Police uh... involved but also the city of london police yes. uh... Any, did you comment about that or what do you think about that
2: um, i think it causes problems when you've got different jurisdictions because it means you haven't necessarily got an overview of the whole investigation uh... Um, but that's not unique to jack the ripper it was the same with the yorkshire ripper in england where you had lots of different forces look at information not perhaps sharing that data uh... Okay. I right i mean if you if you look at william Union, for instance the letter went to a city place who didn't do anything with it. If it had gone to the Met police, who knew him very well through his regular appearances in the police courts, they might have taken it more seriously and so, said, hang on here, <laughs> this yeah, guy's right. worth looking at. Um, but that, that sort of thing, um, so I think perhaps that if there was a fault with the police, it is that overall strategy and direction, uh, because both they were just trying to flood the streets. Um, with officers and they' were trying to stop anyone who looked a bit suspicious uh, and and you know that could have worked Um they could have got lucky they could have stopped with it um, through, through those tactics but yeah. as far as we know they didn't
4: I, I recall reading uh, Commissioner waring making a comment that he did not really believe that CID or the investigative division was going to uh, find the the offender but was going to be One of the police constables happening upon them. So I think, what's in October, he doubled. I mean, they doubled the, the patrols.
2: Yeah, and I think that was a sensible thing to do uh, because the Ripper almost certainly didn't have a group of contacts who knew what he was doing. It's a looks like he was operating on his own. Uh, yes, he may have had people at home who might have been suspicious about his behaviour, about him being out at night, etc. Uh, but it, you know, if he was someone who had a place of his own, or who slept on the street, Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that they're yeah. not going to have someone who's going to go and talk to the police about that. And in the Jewish community as well, the chances of, of, of people coming forward and telling the police, yes, Jack Ripper is hiding in our community, I think were quite remote. I think the people were obviously scared of the reprisals, particularly the climate at the time. So I think it would be very, very brave for any of them to come forward and say, look, here he is. <laughs> right. We've got him. Right. Um, and I do believe that if, if if he was in that community, that they would have tried to stop the crimes themselves and tried to conceal him as best
4: as they could. Right, and I, some conspiracies are like that. I think <laughs> that that yeah. they've been brought.
2: Yeah, so. um, I think the conspiracies tend to be at the at the higher level that the police and the masons and the, and the Royal right. family all, all conspired to, to, to hide the river. I don't think that's likely um, because when you look at those suspects in, in that top edge of society there's not really any of them that could have been walking around Whitechapel uh, not least because they would have been seen and recognised um, and one of the things about the suspect that George Hutchinson apparently saw with Mary Kelly was the appearance that they were very aristocratic and you think in a rough area that's already in a state of panic someone like that would stand out, not just a target for, for fees, but also people would spot them and would report them. I'm pretty sure that, that would have happened. Right. Um, Sir George Arthur walking around, um, the indications are from, if he was a, if he was George Compton, that he certainly had dressed down for the occasion. He wasn't, you know, <laughs> his,
4: his top hat well, and speeches. Yeah. Well, they said that he was wearing a slouch hat. Yes. So, so he was dressing down, and apparently, you know, that's when they were slumming it. And even uh, Francis Tumblety said that he dressed down for the occasion yes. as well when he went through there. Yeah,
2: so and that's I, right. And I think that's sensible. You know, even today, if you go into an area that has a bad reputation, you probably wouldn't wear yeah. your yeah. best clothes or drive your best car and deliberately stand out. You don't want to blend in, um, which supports the idea that, that the Ripper was someone who naturally blended into the situation, into the surroundings. That he, he was someone who people knew, I uh, just took for granted.
4: Right, right. And then um, the positioning of the bodies, I know there's uh, some conspiracies on the uh, a pentagram and things. And in my opinion, it looks like uh, it's just that one of the unfortunates took them off the streets, those two main thoroughfares. Um, yes. Did you uh, discuss that at all?
2: Um, not in any great detail. I've mentioned the, the, the black magic theory and, um, I, yeah, I mean, you can look at some of the books. I think the parlours did a, uh, a pentagram in the book and I think it was also done in a different book as well. Um, but to me it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't match. I think it's, I mean, it's hard to say the location is just coincidence um, because we don't know if the suspect had any connection with those areas. Um, right. It's possible that they did. I think the fact that, that Keely and Tongue had warehouses around some of the sites is quite interesting, particularly in view of the, of the cut brush theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also like that there were just quiet places where he could do what he wanted to do. Um, and of course, Mary Kelly was killed indoors, uh, which had gave him more time to, to, to exercise a whole bunch of relations on her. Um, and you kind of like think, does that argue against the Ripper not having a place of his own where he could do this sort of stuff? Was he someone who was on the streets or in or in a shared accommodation? Uh, right. Because if he had a quiet place at home or some the would he not have tried to take the the victims back there?
4: Right, right. And uh, it's uh, and how about the you know after Catherine Eddowes was murdered, then on in Goulston Street they found a piece of Catherine Eddowes apron I think and then yes, there's the, the writing it. on the wall um, yes. what was your take on that
2: <laughs> I'm not sold on the theory that it was written by the killer um, because the apron could have been left there at random and we we know there was lots of graffiti in the area uh, right. the, the key thing is trying to date when it, when it came from because obviously you had the police constable who passed through earlier and said the graffiti wasn't there right Um, So that suggests it was drawn in the middle of the night later, Mm -hmm. which would probably entice him when when the apron was dropped. But it's also interesting that if that police officer was correct, uh, then the Ripper went somewhere after committing the murder, then came back out onto the streets to deposit the apron there, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to him running past and dropping it, um, which is possibly the most likely scenario because if you go down the theory that he deliberately placed it, then you start to put a, a rationale behind his his motives right. uh, well. and a plan. Uh, and if he had a plan, then you link that to the graffiti and you wonder what it actually meant. Um, but we can't prove it then it's more than a coincidence. And I, I, I suspect the most likely scenario is that he dropped it when he was running past, which would obviously dictate where he
4: went on that day, um, and that the officer walking past didn't see it. Right, right. And and that probably is appropriate because you think if, if you're, you're not looking for Something you're just walking by, and then you you would not like pick that up and and I can just see as well that the, at that moment the offender is trying to get out of the area as fast as he can
2: yes and and you wonder why he took the apron with him? Was it because he wrapped uh, the organs possibly in it maybe mm-hmm. um that 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 would possibly make sense, but then what did he do with the organs? so you know did he take it somewhere, dispose of them, and then go back out and dump it um right yes it's an interesting um, discussion but it, it's one of those things that we can't really prove. Um, I right. think it'll, yeah it's not it would be nice to think that the graffiti was written by the killer but I don't think we can necessarily say that as a fact
4: right well as I one of the reasons why I'm talking about it is because the how you approach in your book is that you you leave it open for people to yes just like you're as you're speaking as well you're leaving it open to allow people to know that it happened, and but it's something that we have to uh, look at and discuss. So, uh, yes. but, uh Al, I'm sorry. Uh, did you want to ask a question? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, things are good. I just um, want to know. The, the, the thing from a, a person that doesn't research this sort of thing, yes. I would think um, a, a lot of times um, when I'm, reading or listening to these books on Jack the Ripper, I don't hear enough about um, the type of uh, lifestyle people in that part of London lived. Um, There needs to be a little bit more about that Um, so people understand what it was like to be in London in 1888.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point because when we talk about the police investigation, people might think that you know they they had all the detective methodologies that we have available today in forensics and actually they didn't. Uh, it, it was predominantly a very poor area, very, very rough, um, but there is also evidence that some of the people living there were, were, were decent working class families who, who weren't involved in crime uh, and were trying to avoid <laughs> that, those who were. Um, a lot of alcoholism, um, which is sad. Um, quite a lot of homelessness as well, um, which again would contribute towards the, um, the situation that you have all these people who are sleeping on the streets. Then it's going to be very hard for the police to stop them all and <laughs> and take them in. And quite often they might have just left people who were lying on the ground um, Sleeping and apparently not causing any problems. Uh, Yeah, so I I think you're right. I think it it is. Some some writers have looked at the social economic conditions, um, but I don't think it's been a really really good book that has explored that in the context of the murders.
3: Yeah, I think it's hard to understand the context because of that. I mean, people apply their life today. You know they might think well you know a bad area or a poor area but they're, they're thinking of today i mean the police actually washed down the crime scenes didn't they? Yes. yeah so you know
2: big difference yeah big difference. And, and you know the bodies were there wasn't a proper mortuary at the beginning so the bodies were taken away on a cart yeah. <laughs> and, and not you know so you think that 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 from today forensics will be horrified because so much evidence has actually been lost there uh, and a lot of the scenes weren't properly documented, um, which again causes problems later on. The writing on the wall, for instance, the fact that was washed away, that was, you know, you, you, can, end, you can argue it both ways, uh, that it was a, a, a massive misjudgment or that uh, the call was right to protect the local Jewish residents from any reprisals. Um, but certainly that's a piece of evidence which was destroyed. Uh, and so much so when it came to the inquest that they, they couldn't agree on what the actual wording was and the police caused had to go back and check his note again uh, so that was quite interesting um, things that today we will take for granted just weren't weren't done
3: so Paul um, who was Jack <laughs> uh, I, <wish> I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I wish I knew
2: I wish I know. I think out of the suspects we know about, uh, he's would be in those top ten that I put forward, Um, but it's equally possible that he was someone that we haven't heard about yet, and I, yeah, I suspect that's probably more likely.
3: Mm. Hmm. I kind of figured it was Margaret Thatcher. (laughs) 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 Well, it's... But what do I do? It's
2: interesting that some women were accused, though, and, and I, I did a, a, a chapter in a book on the, on, on the women, um, and some of them were quite interesting characters in their own right, again, um, but I don't think there's much evidence to support the idea that, that it, it was a female um, doing these, these crimes.
3: Yeah. Well, it, the female wasn't strong enough either, right, in, in those cases? Wasn't there something to do with strength? You had to be pretty strong to do it? Um, you did, but there were some strong women about then,
2: so I, I I wouldn't say that was an argument against it being a woman. I think it's more uh, the fact that of the witnesses who did see something, it was always a man that they saw. None of them were seen w- with women coming up. Um, if you take the Kelly murder, for instance, it was a man who went to a room, it was a man that, that Hutchinson saw her with, um, and, and you look at the other side. So, so I don't think there's any evidence that it was a woman, but it's certainly an interesting theory. Um, and the type of women coming forward, very much the midwife uh, and convicted murderesses were those who, who, who were put forward.
1: Hmm.
3: Well, maybe they identified as a woman. Well, that's, that's possible as well. Uh, it, has,
2: it has been suggested as well that, that the killer wore women's clothing to escape, and that, that could possibly explain the, uh, the sight of Mrs. Maxwell who allegedly saw Mary Kelly after she'd been killed and spoke to her. Mm. So that, that's, that's quite interesting.
3: Wow. Um, So now, do you you yourself have a website and uh, interact with people on that? Um,
2: I do have a website, yes. I also have a Facebook writer's place, so you can find me at org, or uh, if you go onto Facebook, you can find me as a writer under Paulie C. Williams, Uh, so I can chat to people through there, and I also use um, Twitter uh, as a means of, of communicating. But certainly any updates as to what I'm doing so a writer will be on my um, website for a blog,
3: and that is linked to the Facebook writer's page. Now, now you've got the uh, Jack the Ripper Suspects book. Um, what else have you written, just so people know? Okay, about? well, I've done
2: a lot of short fiction. Um, I, I've also got a couple of non-fiction books. Um, the first was called Howls of Imagination, and that was an abridged version of my PhD about the wolf in folklore. Um particularly stories about the man-eating wolf and how they developed. Um, Very similar to Jack Ripper actually in the sense that you're looking at the facts uh, of what actually happened and trying to understand how this myth has been constructed. Uh, And I've also written a book called The Mystery Animals of the British Isles, Gloucestershire and Worcestershire, uh, which is an account of um, creatures that shouldn't be around but have been seen, so like um, big cats loose in the British countryside, that sort of thing. Um, so again, looking at the evidence for them, um, what people have said they've seen, what the light explanations are. Uh, so those, those are the three non-fiction books I've published so far. Uh, I've hopefully got the biography of William Manion coming out very soon. Um, there's people interested in publishing that. Um, and I'm working on a, uh, a big book about Mary Jane Kelly as my next major project.
3: Oh, great. Yeah. Wow. It's a long
2: way after. You're a busy man. <laughs> I try to be. <laughs> a lot, lot of work involved.
3: Oh, wow. Um, that's fantastic. So um, now we will of course have your book up on our website as well and, and anything like that so people can do one click if they're listening to the interview or when they listen to the interview. Um, any last words on Jack the Ripper and where we're going to go with it?
2: Um, I think we will continue to do the research into the individual characters. I think that's certainly the trend that's happening now. So we're going away from that general overview of the case into, okay, here is one person that we are, we suspect and we're going to analyze his life in a lot of detail. Uh, and I welcome that. I think it throws a lot of light onto the period at the time, particularly when we start delving into that lower class of suspect, which goes back to Earl's point about understanding the conditions of the time, um, I think the more we can do that, the more we can unravel and start to understand what people thought at the time. Um, and if, as is likely, the killer came from that lower of society, um, the more we can understand those groups and that community, the more likely we are to, to identify them at some point in the future
3: well fantastic well again um, it's been an interesting conversation about Jack the Ripper the book is Jack the Ripper Suspects it's the definitive guide and encyclopedia and the writer is our guest Paul Williams thank you for being
2: thank you for your time. it
3: was appreciated
1: to find out more about our show
2: guests or to listen to past shows from our archive
4: please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com
3: show is over for now was it as good for you as it was for me
1: well good night this has been a production of something with media
3: i'll be back
0: hey it's Paige Desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum.